Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I thought I might take a few minutes to explain why I've been off the air for so long a time. Now, I am sure many of you out there have experienced an horrendous attack of COVID-19. Well, it is now clear to me that uh, the virus has affected people in different ways. And for me, COVID seriously attacked my brain. Now, here's why. It's just a little bit of an explanation. About 10 years ago, I had a serious brain injury caused by a bicycle accident. Now, I have fully recovered from that bicycle accident, but when I got COVID, I really didn't have it that bad, but then I noticed my brain wasn't functioning as well. I, could, I couldn't remember things. I, I was foggy. And so I went to the chiropractor, and he knew of the bicycle accident. He was not surprised that I had developed brain fog from COVID. In fact, he even said that it might take a year for the brain fog to go away. Now, unfortunately, he was right. It's been about a year. When we were talking about it, he agreed with me that I should not take the COVID vaccine, which I did not. In fact, I don't take any vaccines. And uh, he suggested a regimen of healthy diet of fruits and vegetables, plus exercise and sound sleep for recovery. Well, guess what? That worked. So now I'm back. And with me in the studio today is my new producer, Mr. Dan Arnfeld. Say hello, Dan. Hello. So it's good to have Dan back. Now, for today's program, what I want to do is I want to give you a special program about Moby Dick. And I know we need to finish this series, and I'm hoping that Mr. Grant Turgeon will be joining me to do that. But I thought you might find it interesting how often Herman Melville uses Bible references to add color to this American classic. Now, even more, the reason why I think, and this is my own idea, the reason I think Melville uh, used the Bible so much, he was actually reading and studying the Bible when he wrote this book. And uh, why is that? And, And I think reading between the lines and being... Uh, an author myself, teaching literature myself, I really think that he was struggling with his own spiritual crisis at that time. And I even found a quote uh, on NPR. uh, They have a book club on NPR called I Will If You Will. And it's called the I Will If You Will book club. In other words, that means if I read the book, will you read the book? And uh, there are a lot of people that uh, think reading Moby Dick is just way too hard. And of course, uh, if you know anything about Nathaniel, Nathaniel Philbrick, he's a great author, but he absolutely loves Moby Dick. And he believes there's a lot more to Moby Dick than meets the eye, and it is a challenge to read it. But here's what Nathaniel says about Moby Dick and why we should be reading it. And I think also why we should be paying a lot of attention to it when we read it. And this is a quote from from Nathaniel Philbrook. He says, But that's really thinking too small to fully understand 
why Philbrick thinks you should read Moby Dick. And so we're cutting into the middle of a quote from, from NPR. As he tells Robert Siegel, he thinks you should read it not only because of the level of the language, and it's like no other, but because it's close to being our American Bible as we have it. And so, so the thing is, uh, I think a lot of people know that uh, Philbrick has called it the American Bible. And uh, what I want to do today is I want to show you how many Bible references he actually uses in the book. And so, in many ways, I think uh, when Philbrick says it's the American Bible, it's, he, he's talking about all of the things that were going on at the time he was writing the book. Remember, he wrote it right before the Civil War. There was a lot of, of uh, turmoil in the country, and uh, I, I could see why a person would turn to the Bible at that time to figure out, well, what's really going on uh, you know, you're here? And so... so uh, uh, I think he was reading the Bible, and I think he just he just incorporated right into his thinking. Now we also know that he was really studying Shakespeare at that time, and uh, we know that Shakespeare used the Bible fluently in his plays. So in some ways, maybe uh, Herman Melville was just imitating William Shakespeare as well. So I think it's interesting. So let's let's get into a few of the Bible references. I'm going to uh, use my book here. And so you might have to, uh, to do some real work to find out exactly where these things are in, in the book you're reading. So I think the first line of the book is absolutely amazing. And uh, it's probably the most unique introduction to any book that I've ever read. And essentially what he says is, call me Ishmael. <laughs> and so it opens with three words, call me Ishmael. Now, <clears throat> why the word Ishmael? Well, once you get into the book, and I know in previous programs, we've got up to uh, chapters 52 and chapters 53, so there's still a lot more to cover. But, but the thing is, if you look in the book of Genesis 21, and uh, that's the chapter 21, verses 8 to 21, we're introduced to the history of Ishmael and Hagar. And if you know that story, uh, you should know the story anyway. Hagar is his mother. And uh, she was one of the maids of Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife. And they couldn't have children. And Sarah said, okay, well, Abraham will solve this problem. You just uh, take Hagar aside and make us a kid. And so, so essentially, that is what happened. Abraham got with Hagar, and then Ishmael was born. But if you know the whole story is eventually Sarah was very jealous of Ishmael. He was like Isaac's older brother. And and sometimes he was probably really mean to Isaac, probably picked on him. I mean, older brothers do that. I had two older brothers, and sometimes it was a nightmare to be around two older brothers. But Sarah went to Abraham again and said, you got to get rid of this kid. Exactly in the Bible, she says, I do not want Ishmael to be an heir along with my son. And so when you read the book, when you read all of Moby Dick, here's Ishmael, and he never ever mentions anything about family in the book. So in some ways, I think Melville is trying to tell us a little bit about himself. Maybe he feels a little isolated. But here Ishmael never talks about family, so in some ways, he is a just like Ishmael in the Bible. He's been separated 
from his immediate family. He was separated from his, his father. So like I said, Ishmael in the book never, never talks about having family. And so uh, this character, he did not have a family of his own. And essentially, neither did Ishmael in the Bible. He lost his direct family. And so, so I think that's interesting. But one of the things that's really interesting in the book as well, if you, when we get to all the way to the end of the book, Ishmael is the only survivor from the Moby Dick wreck. And it's interesting that, that the way Melville really does cover this is Ishmael is, is out floating in a coffin that, he, that had been made for another character that thought they were dying. But it's a, it's a casket, and it's, it was uh, refashioned to float. So he's floating around, but he's picked up by a well ship named the Rachel. Now, if, if, you really, if you really think about that, that's an unusual name for a well ship. But there's another Bible reference there, and it's, it goes back to uh, the beloved wife of Jacob. She's called the Rachel. And uh, again, it's just really interesting. I'm going to slip all the way back to chapter 128 of the book, and I just wanted to show you this reference to, to the Rachel, and this is the ship. This chapter is titled, The Pequod Meets the Rachel. And so it's talking about two whale ships. And then at the very end of the chapter, it talks about the Rachel again. And uh, if we even go all the way to the epilogue, it's the Rachel, it's the ship, the Rachel, that actually saves Ishmael from the sea. But the very last paragraph of chapter 128, and of course in my book it's chapter, it's page 579. It said, but by her still halting course and winding woeful way, you plainly saw that this ship was so swept with spray, still remained without comfort. She was Rachel weeping for her children because they were not. That's a direct quote of Matthew 2 verse 18 and Jeremiah 31 verse 15. So you can see he's using a Bible reference there. And then if we go to the very epilogue, and this is uh, Ishmael is the only survivor of this whole accident. And uh, he, he starts out the very, the, the epilogue is just a very, it's one paragraph, basically. It says at the top, and I only am escaped alone to tell you. And that's from the book of Job. So it's, it's interesting that at the very bottom of this epilogue, and it's, again, it's, it's Ishmael is the only one that lived to tell the whole story. And he goes on to say, it says, On the second day, a sail drew near, nearer and picked me up at last. It was the devious cruising Rachel that in her retracting search after her missing children only found another orphan. So, so there's another Bible quote. And I, I really think that's really kind of fascinating and really kind of interesting. Uh, I just gave this as a lecture to my students so it was easier to produce for today. Uh, I'm going to have to get back into the swing of things. Now, there's another thing that I think is, is really interesting. He, uh, he makes a big reference to Adam and Eve in this first chapter of the book. And again, you could, you could let it slip by if you're not careful. And so we might do this several times. And there are many, many, many uh, Bible quotes here in this book. Uh, this would be page six on my, uh, in my book. 
and he's talking about philosophy. He's talking about some of these these major Roman philosophers like Seneca, and uh, he, he has this middle paragraph. It says, "What does that indignity amount to? Weight, I mean, in the scales of the New Testament." So he's talking about uh, you know the way he was treated on the ship, and he says, "What does that mean in the scales of the New Testament? Do you think the archangel Gabriel thinks any less of me?" because I promptly and respectfully obey that old hunks in the particular instance who ain't a slave. <laughs> and so he's talking about, really, he's talking about philosophy. He's talking about the man. But here he brings up the New Testament, talks about the angel Gabriel. And uh, even later in the story, there's a kind of a crazy guy that thinks he is the angel Gabriel. He, he says he's got the vials. You know, this is totally talking from the book of Revelation one of the seven vowels and he's ready to open it you know and so he terrifies everybody on the ship but you can see that this is not just the only uh, instances in the book these are the ones i think are most interesting for a radio program uh, but but he goes on then to talk about the universal thump and uh, you know god does correct us and sometimes we get thumped and uh, if you look what's happening in the united states uh, god's thumping us I mean that's that's happening. Uh, why why are we having these crazy situations going on and the, and and just the you know the COVID and some of the other things and of course just today there was the worst earthquake ever in Turkey and they expecting that thousands of people are dead. God is not happy with us and the and the way we're sinning on this planet. It, it goes on to the bottom here and I think it's it's really interesting here and I think he's. Well, what I'm going to show you is what was really on Melville's mind. He's trying to understand, I think, here we have this incredible creation. Here we are on this incredible earth. We have all this beauty. And even even Moby Dick, the whale, it's it's white whale, by the way. It's not a black whale. It's a white whale. And then why is this white whale so evil? And that's what he's trying to figure out. Why is there... Why is there so much evil in this universe and in the, even the beauty of the earth? So he goes on and saying, and I'll read this whole paragraph here. He says, again, I always go to the sea as a sailor because they make a point of paying me for my troubles. Now, this is Ishmael talking. Whereas they never pay passengers a single penny that I have heard of. On the contrary, the passengers themselves must pay. And there is all the difference in the world between paying and being paid. The act of paying is perhaps the most uncomfortable infliction that the two orchard thieves entailed upon us. But being paid, what will compare with us, the urbane activity which a man receives money is really marvelous. So who do you think the two orchard thieves are? And, and uh, I asked the students this, and they just look at me like, what? Uh, well, we don't know. He's really talking about Adam and Eve. Why are they orchard thieves? We have to go back to the Bible and understand the two trees. They were, Adam was told, you can eat of every tree of the garden that you want, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened? Eve went and ate it. She tempted him to eat it. And so they are the two orchard thieves. And essentially what they did, everybody out there listening, is they 
they really founded this present evil world. Now, we know from the Bible that it's, it's definitely was inspired by Satan the devil, but they were disobedient. And so why does he include this in the book of Moby Dick? I mean, you have to ask that. What's he thinking? And I think he's really struggling with, you know, why is the world the way it is? And I think all of us out there, uh, certainly a lot of us are thinking, why are things happening today the way they are? So it's interesting. I didn't bring the whole quote here. But Nathaniel Philbrick also believes that this book, Moby Dick, depending on what's happening in America, it's always going to come to the surface and maybe help provide some of the answers. So I do think it's interesting that he calls them, Adam and Eve calls them the two orchard thieves. All right, uh, I'm going to just go down to, to chapter two now. It's called the, the, um, the carpet bag, and uh, we're going to go to page 11 now. This is interesting. It's uh, Ishmael, and he's, he's met Queequeg by this point, and they're trying to find a place to stay in a very wintry evening uh, you know, when they're waiting to get on a whale ship. And it's interesting. They get to this, uh, it's called a spouter inn. And this is what he says there. He said, it was a queer sort of place, a gable-ended old house, one side palsied, as it were, and leaning over sadly. It stood on a sharp, bleak corner where the tempestuous, tempestuous excuse me, wind, Euclidon, kept a worse howling than ever did about poor Paul's tossed craft. And you know, I love to do this to the students. Says, okay, which Paul is he talking about? And you, know, you test them. Are they studying their Bible like we want them to? And the point is, uh, for all of you listening out there, he's talking about the Apostle Paul's a shipwreck off the coast of Malta. And the wind, the Euclidon, is an actual wind in the Mediterranean Sea today. And it it's, creates havoc for ships. And so so if, if you want to prove me on that, just go to the Acts of the Apostles, and it's Acts chapter 27, verses 13 to 15. It talks about the Euclidon and how it wrecked Paul's ship. And, uh, of course, there was a lot of benefit that came out of that. And so here, Ishmael, he's saying these things. Ishmael obviously knows a lot about the Bible. And the point is, even as Conrad does with his, uh, his frame narrators, is they're always speaking for Conrad. And so we, I think we have to come to the conclusion that Ishmael is speaking for Melville. So uh, there's another reference, chapter 6. I think it's, a, it's another good one. I see if I can find the right page. It's page 37. Chapter 6, he's talking about the, uh, the area of New Bedford, and that's obviously in the United States, and it uh, was considered the capital of whaling. And uh, essentially what he talks about, New Bedford, he said it's not the land of Canaan. <laughs> he said it's not the land of milk and honey. That's in the, uh, in the middle of the page there. It says, still, New Bedford was, is a queer place. Had it not been for us whalemen, that tract of land would this day perhaps have been in, in an howling condition as the coast of Labrador. As its parts of her back country are, are enough to frighten one, they look so bony. The town itself, perhaps, the dearest place to live in in all New England, it is a land of oil, true enough, but not like Canaan, a land also of corn and wine. <laughs> and so uh, if you go to New Bedford today, you've got a lot of wealthy, wealthy people living there today, especially also in Nantucket. So, so here he's saying that New Bedford is not the land of Canaan. All right, 
I think one of the most significant chapters where Melville is really, uh, really goes a long way to include the Bible, it's chapter nine in the book. And essentially what this chapter, it's about Jonah. And it's actually this old seaman who resigned from being a whaler. He became a minister and his name is Father Mapple. And essentially, chapter 9 is a sermon. And the whole sermon is about Jonah and the whale. And it's interesting that they sing a hymn at the beginning of the service. And it's actually a poem written by Herman Melville. But it's all based on Psalm 18. If you go to Psalm 18 in the Bible, you're going to see almost exact wordage from in the book. Uh, But he gives this this incredible sermon on Jonah. He said, Beloved shipmates, clinch uh, the last verse of the first paragraph of Jonah, and God had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. He says, Shipmates, this book containing only four chapters, four yarns is one of the smallest strands in the mighty cable of the scriptures. Yet what depths of the soul does Jonah's deep sea line sound? What a pregnant lesson to us is this prophet What a noble thing is the canicle in the fish's belly. How billow-like the boisterously grand. We feel the flood surging over us. We sound with him to the kelpy bottom of the water, seaweed, and all the slime of the sea about us. But what is the lesson that the book of Jonah teaches? So this is part of the the book. This is part of Moby Dick. You could almost say (laughs) it's like Melville's in the priesthood. You know, he's going to teach this sermon. And like I'm going to read that again. What is the lesson that the book of Jonah teaches? Shipmates, it is a two-stranded lesson, a lesson to us all as sinful men, and a lesson to me as a pilot of the living God. So that's an amazing, amazing paragraph. And, uh, you know, it's always interesting to say to the students, so what was he doing that day he's writing? And we know that Melville... He was so dedicated to this book, he would go into his office at 8 in the morning and not come out till 4 in the afternoon because he was really working hard to make the book just right. Um, He says, As with all sinners among men, the sin of this son of Amity was in his willful disobedience of the command of God. Never mind now what the command was or how conveyed, which he found a hard command, but all the things that God would have us do Listen to this. He's talking about us now. Are hard for us to do. Remember that. And hence, and he oftener commands us than endeavors to persuade. And this is the big lesson. And I'll tell you, it's something we all need to take in and apply to our own lives. He says, and if we obey God, we must disobey ourselves. And it is in the disobeying of ourselves wherein the hardness of obeying God consists. So he's talking about human nature, and uh, he's talking about Jonah, and Jonah really did. He would not do what God wanted him to do. He didn't like it, and he thought he could escape God. And uh, if you know the story, and I'm not going to go into all the story, he got on a ship uh, with people that were not from Israel, and uh, they began to have a lot of trouble because he was on the ship, and eventually... Jonah told him, throw me in the sea. And then, of course, God had prepared this special fish for Jonah to to survive under the sea. 
But he goes on to say, with the sin of disobedience in him, Jonah still furthers flouts at God by seeking to flee from him. He thinks that a ship made by men will carry him into the countries where God does not reign, but only the captains of this earth. He skulks about the wharves of Joppa and seeks a ship that's bound for Tarshish. There lurks perhaps a hitherto unheeded meaning here. By all accounts, Tarshish could have been no other city than the modern Cadiz. And I think that's in Spain. You can see he's already coming to the point where he's saying, there's a lot to this book. There's a lot of truth in the Bible. And so it's really, it's, like I said, it's really a book worth reading, but it's also a book where you have a man studying the Bible because he's got some spiritual issues he's got to solve. And I think all of us, if we realize where we are in America today, there's uh, the whole population, we really need to be turning to God, not away from God. So there's a lot to think about uh, in this book. Now, I just want to repeat that again. If we obey God, we must disobey ourselves. I'm going to be teaching that to my grandkids. I'm going to say, look, if you're going to obey God, you got to disobey yourself. And sometimes it's really hard for them to disobey themselves. <laughs> we have some grandsons that ah, they think they're 20, 20 years old. <laughs> they're, they're not even three yet. That's human nature, and it does come out. Well, that's all the time I have for today's program. On our next program, we'll begin discussing the final chapters of Moby Dick, beginning with chapter 71. Now, you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may be also able to find a copy in your local bookstore, and of course, you can also check your local library. I think they're all open again now that the We've gotten less radical about COVID-19. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So, so glad to be back with you this time. But until next time, keep reading. been listening to just the best literature on trumpet radio 101.3 kpcg streaming online at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com